The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for leading us here this morning uh, to your word. I ask, Father, that you would give us insight through your spirit to equip us to hear and apply your message. We invite you to use this time to further your purposes in our lives. Amen. Well, for my middle daughter's 10th birthday, she wanted a metal detector. And um, we were all hoping to make some exciting discoveries, right, on the beach or walking through the woods or some such place. You always hear some story about someone finding some um, expensive artifact and becoming an overnight millionaire or something like that. In 2009, that's exactly what happened. A man named Terry Herbert was using a metal detector while walking through a field in Staffordshire, England, and made a significant historical discovery. A hoard of 6th to 7th century medieval metalwork that included 11 pounds of gold, 5 pounds of silver, and 3,500 pieces of jewelry worth an estimated $4.3 million was discovered. Similarly, my daughter has used her metal detector to successfully discover some rocks and dirt, but we will keep trying. Our text today uses a parable to teach uh, valuable insight about not only what we uh, are to truly treasure, uh, but also what should happen as a result when we treasure the appropriate treasure. So in Matthew 13, in verses 44 through 45, both of them start the same way. There's two different parables here. Uh, they start by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, so before we talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like in this parable, it's a good idea to ask, what is meant by the phrase kingdom of heaven? Jesus mentions kingdom over 150 times in his ministry. It's a major theme of Jesus. And if, um, if you look what is before and after this specific parable in, in Matthew 13, there are several parables, all describing different aspects of the kingdom of heaven. So for example, the parable of the weeds, that's starting in verse 24 of chapter 13. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. And then you have later in verse 31, it starts with the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And then in verse 47, it starts with the kingdom of heaven is like a net. So here in verse 44, our text, it says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So all these different parables, they provide um, unique perspectives to think about what the kingdom of heaven is, is like. My encouragement, since we're not examining all the different parables, because we're, you know, we're not going through the Gospel of Matthew right now, um, my encouragement is to think of the kingdom of heaven as anywhere God reigns, um, anywhere he is the supreme ruler. And so this can mean different things. It's intentionally written to mean a variety of things. Could this refer to heaven uh, like God's eternal reign? And absolutely yes. Uh, the kingdom of heaven often implies an eternal view. Uh, couldn't kingdom of heaven also refer to your own personal relationship with God? Uh, and, and the answer to that is absolutely yes. And it often does in parables. And so does this mean that the kingdom of heaven means God's personal presence in your life? You know, the Holy Spirit. 
And the answer to that is, is yes, absolutely. Um, so wherever and however God is, sup- is supreme, wherever he is the supreme ruler, whether it's as small as your life or the entire cosmos, uh, the answer is yes, that's, that's the kingdom of heaven. And so these parables often refer to multiple things simultaneously. So I think that's some important context for the passage. Uh, now let me introduce the outline to the sermon, okay? Point number one is treasure the right thing. Treasure the right thing. And number two is treasured by the treasure. It's a little bit cryptic there, but it makes sense in a few minutes. Treasured by the treasure. And then the last one, the last point, point number three is financial stewardship. Financial stewardship. So point number one, treasure the right thing. How is the kingdom of heaven like treasure? J.C. Ryle sees the securement, the, the procurement of the treasure as an insatiable desire for God and to prioritize him over all else, over all other things. And he says this, when a man will venture nothing for Christ's sake, we must draw the sorrowful conclusion that he has not got the grace of God. So we, are, uh, we, we see here that Jesus is the true treasure. A uh, relationship with God is the true treasure. And when you find that, or, or when you find him, everything else is seen as a lesser value. And I saw a silly social media video last week where there was a very young child, and he was offered a choice by the guy, or maybe it was his dad, I'm not really sure. Uh, he was offered a choice between two things. It was a stack of $100 bills or two cookies. And the kid, you know, I mean, has no concept of, of uh, how many cookies that you could buy with thousands of dollars. And that's what the stack of $100 bills was. was. It was thousands of dollars. And um, he does know exactly how good cookies are, though. And so this is his reaction. Cookies. Cookies. And so the dad is like, are you sure? You sure you want that? You don't want the thousands of dollars? And the kid's just, cookies. Give me the cookies. <laughs> and so that's what, that's what he wants. That's what he got. His immaturity and lack of understanding interferes with a clear vision of the true value of the other choice. A former professor of mine, Dale Bruner, in his commentary on Matthew, writes, many who find this treasure are foolish and do not sell to buy it. Unfortunately, like that child, we often value other things as greater than our relationship with Jesus. But what happens when we treasure the right treasure in our lives? Meaning, when we recognize Jesus as the ultimate value to obtain in life, well, everything else seems smaller. Okay? Even the most important things in our lives, like even good and healthy things, blessings from God, uh, maybe like your, your career or the most important relationships that you have, your family, um, maybe if you're a student, your grades. You, you know, all, all good and important things, but all these things compared to Jesus are, are put in their proper place, in their proper view. So think of Peter as recorded in John 21. He's a fisherman. He's fishing all night, hours of work, thinking, I need fish because I need money because I need to provide for my wife and, I, and we need food to eat. And he catches nothing. Uh, Jesus says, cast your net again. And kind of begrudgingly, in my opinion, he has the catch of his life. 
the very thing that was likely priority number one in Peter's life in that moment, you know, a mere 10 seconds ago or a minute ago, uh, which was fishing for money, well, that now means nothing when he experiences Jesus as he is, uh, when he catches a glimpse of the true immense value of Jesus. So Jesus is more valuable than the greatest catch he's ever had, right? So Peter leaves that profession and follows Jesus, and, and uh, the decision does not seem that difficult to Peter at all. Doesn't have to really think about it. Now let's jump back to the parable. Verse 44, was it hard for the treasure finder uh, in this parable to sell all he had to purchase the treasure? No. The treasure was worth all he had and then some, and he got more in return. So verse 44 says, he sold all he had with what? With joy. So everything else seems smaller and less of a big deal when confronted with the value that Jesus truly is. What else happens when we treasure the right treasure? When we treasure God like this, we begin to see the resources that we have, and I'll be talking about money here in a sec as well, but, but any type of resource, uh, even our money, as a tool. We see it as a tool for the purposes of God. Now, I have a little bit of a unique perspective on this just because of my background. Uh, some of you guys know I was the director of a, uh, for 13 years of an adolescent ministry um, in, in a missionary organization. And my first five years were spent in Connecticut. You know, I graduated college, uh, so I moved there. And initially, especially those first couple of years, they were really hard. Um, we started the ministry from scratch. The, the budget was tight, like, all the time. And I was responsible for, for fundraising. That was a part of my role. And there were a few months during my years there where I just didn't get paid that month or, um, you know, was on reduced salary of some sort. And it was difficult. But my first year out there, I'm 23, 24, and just trying to, to build the organization from the ground up. And I, I don't remember where this was, but I know it was at some sort of conference. Uh, and I end up randomly talking to this guy, just kind of casually running into him before, never met him before. And we talk for, I mean, truly just like a couple minutes. Um, we're like in between sessions, you know? So we're not even sitting down together. We're just kind of standing there talking and somehow we get to talking about what I do. And I just explained very briefly, um, this ministry that I'm involved in introduces adolescents to Jesus Christ. We help them grow in their faith, uh, largely work with kids not in the church, um, you know, teaching them, introducing them to the things of God, you know, very, very brief. And he opens his checkbook and hands me a donation of $10,000, as strangers often do. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I, I was shocked, and, um, you know, I, I was like, thanks, man, like, what's your name again, you know? And I didn't know what to say, but, but he, he truly did this joyfully and spontaneously, and, you know, one of the things I left with was like, man, God really just, like, has me, um, he has everything covered. Money is nothing to, to him. I mean, the, the top snowflake on the highest mountain is his. You know, I think of Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? And, but it was also the first time I experienced someone truly giving financially in a major way with, with joy. And it was as if he could, at some level, um, claim at least a portion of this verse in 44. Um, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. This guy understood this verse in a way that I hadn't really experienced before with, with actual money. 
And um, so this was a man who truly saw Jesus as his treasure, even more than literal material treasure. And uh, so when Jesus is correctly treated as the real treasure in someone else's life, finances become a resource for use um, for the purposes of God's glory. And so that's point number one, treasure the, uh, treasure the right thing. And we'll see stewardship over our resources with a different perspective. Number two is quicker, uh, but it is really profound, and I think it leads to a, a much better understanding of the two parables. Uh, it's called treasured by the treasure, okay? In, in chapter 13, moving on to verse 45 and 46 now, it says, the kingdom is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Okay, now many readers make the mistake of treating these two parables exactly the same. They're certainly and very intentionally similar, uh, but they are not the same. It, but a lot, of, a lot of people treat them as if they're repeating the same points with just different analogies. Uh, but this would be missing the reason for their differences. Okay, verse 44 says, the kingdom is like a treasure, right? It's like treasure, we already talked about that. The next parable does not say the kingdom is like fine pearls. Verse 45 says the kingdom is like a merchant searching for the valuable treasure of fine pearls. Okay, not like fine pearls, but like a merchant searching for fine pearls. It's an important distinction. Now, what does that difference mean? Okay, now again, similar to the previous parable in verse 44, we are to consider the fine pearls more valuable than anything else we own. Okay, that's kind of the same. So uh, we can view ourselves as the merchant businessman, just like we can view ourselves as the treasure finder in the field. Okay, that's very similar. And we should consider how committed we are to prioritizing God in our lives and treating him as, you know, a price, as, as uh, priceless fine pearls, right? So that's all true and reinforces kind of the same, you know, or at least very similar points in verse 44. But we should also notice this. Jesus is this, uh, the perfect depiction of this merchant. What treasure did he search for intently? and give everything he had to get it. It's us, okay? He bled, died on the cross, conquered death through his resurrection to, uh, to secure our salvation, right? He searched and acquired us. We're his fine pearls. And so God is the true treasure from verse 44, but God treasures us. And that's more explicit because it identifies the person as searching, and that's not necessarily true in verse 44. So the treasure treasures us. The treasure treasures us. Now this is the truth I hope is the single most impactful reality for my own kids. No matter what, no matter how much I fail them or the world fails them uh, or they f fail themselves, right? Because that happens plenty as well. Uh, they will know that they are treasured by God himself. And when that happens, I th you, you walk around differently. You know, you think differently. You do. You, you live differently when you know that you're loved by God that way, when you're treasured by God. And so that's point number two. It's short but very profound, so we shouldn't miss it. We find ourselves treasured by the treasure. Now let's move to number three, which is financial stewardship. Number two, as we just covered, identify the differences of the parable, but for number three, I wanna point out an important similarity again. Uh, both the treasure finder from verse 44 and the merchant from verse 45, they share something in common. Their money becomes a tool or a resource for greater purposes, for, for the purposes of God. 
and the Bible has plenty to say about money, uh, far more than I can cover today, but money comes up as a topic in roughly 25% of all of Jesus' parables, uh, so he has a lot to say about it. The Bible also speaks to the limitations of human wealth. For example, Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, uh, he's talking about um, people with means, people that have wealth, encouraging them to, uh, not to, quote, set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He continues on to, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. So uh, one thing that's important here, this does not mean to avoid wealth. You know, I think sometimes Christians tend to um, have a low view or even demonize success um, and think becoming wealthy is wrong or ungodly. Um, and, and that's not true. God himself, there's no one wealthier than him. You know what I mean? So it's not bad to be wealthy. Um, we really should want more Christians in this world, though, to, to have wealth, I think. Um, think about this. I know that might sound strange, and I'll explain myself, but they're the ones that should be most likely to be generous. Um, they, they're the ones that should use their finances with a biblical view of the world. Uh, don't we want more people in positions of power and influence uh, to leverage that? Um, you know, I, I don't think I want people that don't value human beings as made in the image of God to have all the wealth and influence in this world. Um, so I want more, more wealthy Christians, not less. Uh, some Christians certainly are not called to be wealthy. Um, you know, I'm sure for a variety of reasons that only God would know. Uh, but make no mistake, God has a ton to say about using our financial resources appropriately and for his purposes. So many of us are familiar with the term tithing. Um, and if you're not, that's okay. I asked someone actually recently that I know doesn't, you know, is not following Christ or really is not involved in church. I was like, do you know what tithing means? And he was like, no. Um, so, you're, you know, if you don't know what it means, that's okay. The Hebrew word simply refers to 10, the number 10, and uh, refers to giving 10% of your income and devoting it to God. Now, in the Old Testament era, okay, before Jesus, uh, the Hebrew people were obligated to tithe, you know, things like their crops and their livestock. Uh, for example, we see in Leviticus 27.30, it says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Again, Deuteronomy 14.22 says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. So these resources were given to the priests and the temple in the Old Testament era, uh, but they're also used to care for local communities um, to provide material needs of aliens, orphans, widows. And um, so on top of expressing gratitude towards God, tithing was used um, like a, a, as a very practical uh, resource for society in the Old Testament. However, in the New Testament, okay, and under the authority of Jesus in the New Covenant, uh, tithing is mentioned in the Bible, but it's not mentioned in any of the New Testament instruction given to the church uh, specifically. So this is kind of striking because it was really important in Israel in the Old Testament times. So in many ways, Old Testament tithing can be viewed comparably to national, like modern national taxes. Um, 
since tithing was essentially related to the national taxation system of, uh, in, in ancient Israel. So instead, what we see in the New Testament is an emphasis on free will giving. And we do not live under you know, the Old Testament law in that sense, in a, in a society like Israel's. And those in Christ have a unique revelation under the new covenant, right? And so there is no concrete mandate from God to, ki- to give a specific certain amount. Um, there is, however, in the New Testament, very clear instruction to give generously and sacrificially to your church and, and others in need. So I'll end really with, with the question of how are we to give today? Um, in the last passage, we'll, we'll view answers uh, some, of that, some of that question. Uh, so let's go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and uh, we'll start at verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and we'll go through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Picking up from verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution from them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So there's, some, there's a few great principles here. Um, and you'll see in verse 7 that the followers of Jesus give generously. They're not under obligation or compulsion um, because, of, because of a tithe, right? But of a cheerful disposition out of a recognition of, for, for God's generosity towards sinners. Verse 11 says that part of the reason God's people are blessed with wealth or any other resource, is to be able to be generous. Okay, this goes back to the very beginning. You think of you know, centuries earlier, Genesis chapter 12, right? You have God promising Abraham. Now, Abraham at the time, he's old, he's childless, but God says in uh, 12.2, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you. Uh, he continues in, in three, verse 3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God says, essentially, I'll bless you, that others are blessed through you, right? A blessing to bless others. A blessing to bless others. Uh, which leads to thanksgiving to God. So God's people today are, have that exact same heart with our own resources uh, that God provides us. We're, we're blessed to be a blessing. And then you see in verse 12 through 15, it focuses on the effects of giving, the effects of being generous financially. 12 says we, we, we see the needs of others. Uh, we make sure that they're met, especially God's people. 
by the way. Uh, the need to care for each other is definitely emphasized here. Um, you also see generosity as an expression of thanksgiving to God, continuing a principle of tithing from the Old Testament. And then you see obedience and generosity results in uh, praising God from other people. Uh, we see all kinds of things that elsewhere in Scripture, giving to those in need, giving generously for the purposes of ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, for example. We see giving generously and sacrificially in other places like chapter 8, previous to this one, and, and also some other places in chapter 9. So note that even though there is not a specific amount like a tithe anymore, uh, it does appear that if we give, uh, um, that it, the way we give, um, if our money does not alter our lives in some way, um, if it's not sacrificial in some way, then it is likely not enough. You know, we see that pretty consistent in Scripture. And the New Testament emphasizes generosity. It emphasizes individualized decisions between you and, and, and the Lord and your family. And um, it's apart from external pressure for the most part. Um, you're, you're blessed by stewarding finances. You see that in Acts 20, 35, for example. But the amount we give of our, of our finances depends on our capacity to give. Um, it depends on our view of God's goodness. It depends on our obedience to the Holy Spirit. Um, so historically, 10%, it's been a good place to start, though, when considering how much to contribute. Uh, there's biblical precedent for that, obviously, and um, it can certainly be more. You know, it can certainly be more, though. And, you know, you don't necessarily owe anyone an explanation if it has to be less than 10%, depending on your life circumstances as well. Uh, unique, unique situations. So in a survey, I thought this would be helpful, in a survey from 2022, Barna Group reported that 21% of those who call themselves, quote, practicing Christians, okay, 21%, donate 10% or more to their church. Okay, I only share that for informational purposes. I don't, I don't really know if you think that's surprising or not, um, but I thought it was relevant for you to know that the, that number is 21%. So if you're anything like me, your income can change for better or worse, depending on you know, the year. And from time to time, we should reevaluate what we're able to financially give uh, to the church and give to wonderful ministries and, and other charities as, as well, or doing extra things like supporting, like what we were talking about, mission um, to other countries. Um, so I, I hope as members of the body of Christ, we consider that. You know, I hope that you consider that if you haven't lately. And it's important. It's important to be financial uh, stewards, be faithful stewards of our finances uh, as the body of Christ. So I'll leave you with, what do you treasure? You know, I, I think very few things can prove what we really value more than looking at how we steward our money, right? It's an examination that keeps us honest before ourselves and before God. Um, and then last, I'll say, thanks be to God that in spite of our sin and flaws, the true treasure treasures us. Let's pray. God, you are truly generous. Uh, no one can <laughs> outgive out you or outspend you. Uh, you demonstrated sacrificial generosity, Jesus. Um, more than tithing, you gave us your very self to bring us to you. And by your strength uh, and love, help us to consider how to reflect your generosity by, by, by being wise and generous with our resources as well. 
Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.